to you. We'll be picking up from our lesson this morning. Our key word today uh, has been prepare. Prepare. As we mentioned this morning, the life of a Christian is uh, really focused on preparation. We are constantly thinking about eternity. And we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10. We are every day to be prepared to do good works, according to uh, Titus 3 and, and verse 1. We are every day to be sanctifying, sanctifying Jesus in our hearts as Lord and be ready to share the gospel, be ready to give a an answer, if anyone asks us concerning the reason of the hope that's in us, we must be ready. We must be ready even to follow the example of Paul, Acts 21:13, where he said that he was ready to be imprisoned for the Lord or even to, to die uh, for the name of the Lord. We are to be in a constant state of readiness, we are to get ourselves ready to come to Bible class, get ourselves ready to come to worship, get ourselves ready to be better grandmas and grandpas, be, be better parents, grandparents, husbands and wives. It is a key word for us as Christians. This morning we focused on the category of useless preparation. Useless preparation. And we said that uh, useless preparation involves... Um, Basically, living without God, education without God, physical health without God would be useless preparation, wealth without God also in that category, social networking without a focus on God, seeking to have friends without a focus on God is useless, and we finished this morning saying uh, from the teachings of Jesus, that being a Christian without boldness uh, is useless. And we think about as a person learns about uh, sin and his condition before the Lord and how he begins to seek and to ask and to inquire and to read and study. He learns of uh, his state before the Lord and then he studies and learns and inquires some more and he learns he must... Uh, believe in Jesus, turn from sin, acknowledge his faith before men, and be immersed in water for their mission of sins. That is a great journey in itself, but God brings us to that point in order to really start shining our lights for him. And if a person gets to that point and then basically uh, does no service for the Lord, then the Lord has something to say about that. Way back in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 in verse 13, Jesus says, Now if you are a man, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the foot of men. That's, that's, the, Lord's, uh, that's the Lord's summary of someone who does not... Uh, live out the Christian life, does not take his uh, salvation and, and go with it and live for the Lord, uh, the Lord says, well, it's just good for nothing. It's useless uh, preparation. In Matthew 5, verse 15, Jesus uh, 
describes it like this. And, you know, I think about, do you do this? Every once in a while, I, I'll watch some, some things on, um, on TV, on live stream that deals with biblical times. Anytime you watch a show that, um, that deals with biblical times, if they show a scene that's later in the day, it's always very dark. It's always very dark. And, and at first when I would watch a, a movie or a show like that, it would bother me, but then it, it dawns on you. There's no electricity back in those days. There's, they're, they're totally relying on torches and lanterns. And Jesus said, concerning being at night, okay? And I, I picked up Mama's little lantern and thought we'd just, you know, Jesus said, you know, think about being a, a light, having a light, and you come into a very dark room, and no electricity or anything, and you bring that. What if you just bring that in, and then you, you put it under a basket, okay? You put it under a bushel, you put it under a basket. What's that going to, you know, people's looking for that lantern uh, fueled by oil or or a torch, they're looking for that to light up the room so they can finish some work, they can do some studying or reading, or they can, they can prepare a meal. But if you come in, you put it under, under the basket, that does you no good. And that's what Jesus is saying about us. If we, if we start following Him and then don't shine our light for Him, if we're, not, if we're not bold for Him, if we're not excited about Him, then it's, it's, it makes as much sense as doing this right here. Say that you'll get that light off for me. So that was this morning. This evening we're going to talk about useful, effective preparation. Okay, some steps that we can take, some things that we can consider uh, to be useful in our preparation. To be a better servant of our God. Okay. The short answer is to make Jesus our everything, as the song says. He is my everything. That's the short answer. Okay. And it's so very true. So very true. Colossians 3 and verse 4, for example, Paul mentions that Christ is our life. Christ is our life. And Paul said a similar thing in Philippians 1.21, as you know. He said, for me to live is Christ." And to die is gain. And I like what he says in Colossians 1.16. He says, all things were made through Jesus and for him. And that's what it says. All things were made through Jesus and for him. We are here for him. He is my everything. He's my everything. Okay. That kind of dedication can be somewhat illustrated uh, by just listening to grandparents talking about uh, their grandchildren. Okay. And I remember a scene, I probably shared it before, but it comes back up a lot in my brain. And um, But I was a little, preaching for a small church one time and going around meeting people and greeting. And one, one of the main fellows there, he had his little grandson there with him that evening. And he was so proud. He's so proud. So he, he motioned me over to about where Brother Denny's sitting right now in another building, but about where he's sitting. Okay. Motioning me over, and his grandchild right there on his lap, and, and he said, watch this. And I watched, and he stuck out his finger, and the child grabbed his finger. 
And, he, and the grandpa looked at me and he said, have you ever seen a boy this size react so quickly to someone's finger? And what I wanted to say was, well, just about two, two pews over, I saw the same thing. <laughs> but didn't say it. And so he was so proud. I, just, I couldn't burst anything. He was so proud. And it reminds me of Genesis 44:30, when, um, when uh, Joseph's brothers were, were explaining to Joseph that, that they just could not part with Benjamin. They, their father's heart, Jacob back home, he could, they could not part with Benjamin. Okay. They would do anything, just don't make us leave Benjamin uh, here with you. And then they explained to Joseph that, that the father's life is bound up in the life of his son, of his child, bound up in it. Okay. The way it ought to be. But even more so, more so, Jesus should be our everything. So that's, that's, our, that's our short answer. Now, Let's, let's mention five specific things this evening that can help us be prepared to be who God wants us to be every day. And we, we start with the heart. It takes, first of all, a godly, a godly heart. You know this, but look at Ezra 7 and verse 10 in your Bibles. Ezra 7 and verse 10. Now, Ezra is, is going back to the homeland after captivity and he's helping to restore religion. He's helping to restore spiritual matters there in the homeland. And it says there, as you can see, that Ezra prepared his heart okay, to learn the law okay, and so forth. But notice, first of all, he, he prepared his heart. He set his heart uh, to do what the Lord would have him uh, to do. Now, even today, Ezra is well known among uh, the Jewish uh, people as being one of the greatest scribes ever to have lived on earth. Well, uh, we remember Ezra. And one of the reasons is because he set his heart to do the will of God. Let's quickly review for just a second the kind of heart God would have us to have. He would have us to have an honest heart. Luke 8, uh, verse 15. A good and honest heart is the one that receives the word of God. Honest heart. Really, honest heart means we see our need for God. We see our need for the Lord. Okay. We remember Jeremiah 10 23, the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. Also, we need a hungry heart. Hungry heart. You know, the kind that Jesus describes in Matthew 5 and verse 6 when he said, blessed are they who do hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, and it's the kind of heart the Bereans had from Acts 17, 11, and 12 where they would search the scriptures daily, seeing the things, um, see if those things were so or not. Some things are not so. So they were seeing if they were true or not. It's that hungry heart, the, the kind that Paul describes in 2 Thessalonians uh, 2, 10 through 12, where he talks about having a love of the truth, a love of the truth. And people were being deceived, Paul said, because they didn't have that love of the truth. They, they, they found more love and pleasure, but it was because they didn't have that love for the truth. Okay. So God wants us to have an honest heart, a hungry heart. He also wants us to have an understanding heart, according to the... Jesus' words in Matthew 13, 15, as he talks about why he speaks in parables, he says, well, my goal is that they understand with their heart and that they can be healed. Healed, not physically, but spiritually. Understanding with your heart and you can be, you can be healed. You see, the person that pleases God 
doesn't just believe in anything that comes across the screen. Okay. A person that believes in God and wants to honor God doesn't just believe anything that comes that happens to pop in in life. He, he seeks to understand. He has a heart that wants to understand uh, the will of God. Okay. We're reminded of the words in 2 John, uh, verses 9 and 10. John says, Whoever goes onward and abides not in the teaching of Jesus has not God, but he that abides in that teaching has both the Father and the Son. But now whoever comes to you and does not bring this teaching, he says in verse 10, then don't bid him God speak. Don't receive him into your house. You see, we, we are people, God wants us to be people of an understanding heart. Remember that question that, that Philip asked the unit once? God got Philip and the unit together, and Philip saw the unit reading. Remember that question? Do you under, he said, Acts 8, 29 and 30. He said, do you understand what you're reading? And the unit said, well, how can I, except someone would help me with this, guide me here, such an important question. Do you understand what you're reading? So God would have us to have an understanding heart. And on top of that, he wants us to have a broken heart. One of the most important ideas in all of history. Broken heart, Psalm 51, 17. A broken heart. That's what David was trying to have after his, some of his terrible sins. I mean, a broken and contrite heart. That's what, that's what God, that's what pleases God. I think it's... Isaiah 57, 15, it says, God dwells in, in two places, in the most high and holy place, but he also dwells in the heart of one who is broken. Broken means to, the pride is gone. The pride is gone. And you are grieving over the fact that, that you have sinned. You're mourning over your sins. Okay? So that's a broken heart. Okay? And then next to that is the obedient heart. So, Notice the kind of heart God would have us to have. Honest, hungry, understanding, broken, and obedient, as Paul says in Romans 6, 17. Okay. He says, God, we thank that whereas you were the servants of sin, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you've become the servants of righteousness. See, once you obey, you continue to obey because you've become a servant of righteousness. So it starts with the heart. Starts with the heart. It's a good ideal just to compare uh, our hearts. Do it personally. Compare it with the heart of Jesus every once in a while. You know, when Jesus, Matthew 9, 35 and 36, Jesus saw the crowds before him and he noticed just how lost they were. They, they, they just, spiritually speaking, they didn't know, uh, they just didn't know what to do with themselves. They were as sheep without a shepherd. But it says there, he had, his heart went out to them. He had compassion on them. It's a good idea to compare our heart to Jesus' heart, or, or even to, to Paul's heart. Uh, if, you, if you jump over to Romans chapter uh, 9, first couple of verses, uh, Paul says this, I am speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit. That I have great sorrow, he says, and unceasing anguish in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. If my being cut off from Christ would mean the salvation of my, my kinsmen, my brothers, then I would just soon have that happen. It's good to stop and 
compare our heart. And then he picks up Romans 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for, for them is that they may be saved. They may be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And Paul is trying to correct that and trying to help his brothers. 5, 10, 15, 20. You remember those Sunday morning cartoons? You watched you Well, you're too old, Larry. But uh, there was Sunday, Sunday morning cartoons, uh, Schoolhouse Rock, and they help us count 5, 10, 15, 20. Someone showed me a while back that if you look in Luke, look at Luke 5, 10, 15, and 20, you have illustrations of the compassion of Jesus. Uh, just look that up for yourself if you want to. But one thing is um, a godly heart. If we're going to prepare ourselves to be uh, in honor to God every day, we need a godly heart. Secondly is a living faith, Hebrews 11, verse 7. The second thing we need is a living faith. This is all about Noah, and you remember this, by faith Noah uh, being warned of God concerning things not seen as yet. He moved with godly fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is... Uh, by faith. What stands out to you about the faith? We've got to have a living faith like Noah. What stands out to you about Noah's faith? Well, it's obvious that he was ready to listen. He was ready to listen because he did this by faith. And when God warned him, he took it to heart. He took it to heart. So he had that kind of heart we were just describing there uh, in just a little bit ago. So he was ready to listen, but he also was ready to trust the Lord. What do you think? What do you think? Had it rained? What do y'all think? Had it rained before the flood? Had it rained at all on the earth? Yeah. My brother-in-law's here. What do you think, Steve? Had it rained? You don't think so? <coughs> not at all? Certainly not the kind that Noah's about to see, right? <clears throat> yeah, but the only thing we read about concerning uh, moisture uh, prior to the flood, Genesis uh, 2, uh, verse 6, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the earth, and kind of uh, Moses describing the, the lay of the land there uh, in those early, early creation uh, days. Certainly it had not rained anything like, Moses, or like Noah was about to see. As one um, fellow preacher said, he said, it didn't rain cats and dogs, it rained elephants and dinosaurs. Forty, Forty days. Forty days. Okay. But look at Noah's faith. He had never seen anything like that. But yet, he walked by faith, not by sight, didn't he? Okay. He never seen anything like that, but he trusted the Lord. So living faith means we are, we are ready to listen and learn. And we are ready to trust uh, the Lord. And then we are ready to believe and go to work. And that's what he did. He moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. You know, we are all at different levels spiritually, aren't we? Okay. we? We grow differently. We make progress differently. But one thing's for sure for all of us. Doesn't it come down to how seriously we take the word of God, take what God has said to us, and then act upon it? And that's what living faith is really all about. And so it takes a godly heart to prepare uh, for the Lord, and it takes a living 
of faith. But thirdly, it takes intentional study. Intentional study of God's Word. Going back to Ezra a minute. Ezra 7 verse 10, you see that he, he set his heart to learn the law and then to do the precepts of the law and then to teach others, teach Israel as well. Now, what, a, what a great intent. Intentional study. To study on purpose. To study on purpose. There's certainly nothing wrong with taking a book in the Bible or a chapter in the Bible and reading it and just seeing what it says to you. But to really prepare for life with the Lord, we've got to do some intentional uh, study. That's what Ezra's doing. He's studying in order to know what to do personally, but then also how to teach others as well. And you know from your New Testament knowledge that that, we don't have to go over all the verses of how important that is. Brother Paul here was showing me a, a book the other day on on the um, just explaining the errors of a lot of different religious groups out here. And I said, yeah, it looks good to me because in order to prepare ourselves to teach others uh, the precepts of God, we've got to know what others are thinking, how, how they, how they uh, wrap their mind around uh, their ideals and, and, and what they do with the Scripture and, and, and how to respond to that. Yeah. See? So intentional... A study. That's why we've got all these these pamphlets around. That's why that's why I'll bring them up here constantly. Whether it's the house to house stuff or whether it's the old Jewel Miller stuff, we'll keep those around and keep those before us because uh, we want to study with the intent of first pleasing God, but then also the intent of sharing the good news with someone else. Intentional study, though, also involves tackling problem areas. You know there's problem areas in life. Okay. So we need to study those problem areas in a lot of, of Scripture. For example, there's always problems with the temptation to sin with the body. There's always problems. Well, we'll take a look. Look at Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 7, 1 and 2. He says, I think it's 2, yeah. 2 Corinthians 7, verses 1 and 2, having therefore these promises... Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilements of both the flesh and spirit, okay, body and spirit, perfecting holiness in the sight of the Lord. Now that, that last phrase makes it just, it just kind of digs into my heart a little bit because it makes it, he adds that last phrase. Okay. It's, it's well enough for him to say, cleanse yourselves, okay. But what the idea is you want to perfect holiness in the sight of God? with both your flesh and spirit. And so we need to study in light of the problems of the flesh. In 1 Thessalonians 4, for example, in that regard, Paul's words are so meaningful. In 1 Thessalonians 4, beginning around verse number 3, you'll remember, Paul says, For this is the will of God, even your holiness or sanctification, that you abstain from sexual, from fornication, from sexual immorality, it says here, that each one of you know how to control his own body, his own, his own vessel in holiness. Notice this, how do we control it? In holiness, in honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Okay. That's just a sample. And so we need to study with the 
intent of tackling those, those problem areas, not just of the body, but of the spirit, Paul said there in 2 Corinthians 7. That means our attitude. Attitude. We need to search the scriptures about how to guard ourselves against, against unholy attitudes, such as unforgiveness, right? Yep. Unforgiveness is a hard one. Such as bitterness, such as jealousy, such as anger, such as hatred, yes, even hatred, but also problems of the heart and attitude like pessimism, like, like fear, all of those things the Bible addresses, and we need to study with the intent, intentional study of guarding ourselves against these problems. What about the problem of friends, too? Problem of friends. A key passage there is Proverbs 18. Seems like with our study of men's class, Christopher, we'll just keep finding myself in Proverbs. It's, it's so meaningful. And the, toward the end of the chapter there, Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions uh, sometimes comes to ruin. R-U-I-N, ruin, disaster. But there is a friend who sticks closer than than a brother. That is a challenge in life, especially for younger people, but a lot of times for older people. Finding those people who stick closer closer to you than a brother and staying away from those people who will help you come to ruin and disaster spiritually, that is a great challenge. We must study with that in view. Tackle these these problem areas, these pitfalls uh, in life. Well, that's just an idea of what we mean when we say uh, intentional uh, study. So, the steps tonight as far as, as effective preparation is a godly heart, living faith, and intentional study. And number four is preemptive prayer. Preemptive prayer. You know what we mean by preemptive. It means to get ahead of something. To know there's danger and then want to stay away from that. Okay. To deter ourselves with God's help away from danger areas. To pray with a preventive spirit in mind. Why, why should we go into danger and then hope that we survive the temptation? Why not stay away from the temptation in the first place? Jesus taught like this, you know. Matthew chapter 6, it's the Verses 9 to 13, as he's teaching us to pray, he says, pray like this. He says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Okay. He says, don't get into the temptation in the first place. Isn't that much better? And that's, that's, that's the way you bring up your children. Okay. You know there's danger areas. Why put them there? Why put them there? You know? I actually talked to a mom one time. And... She was so excited that her, her teenage girl had a boyfriend. Okay. And she was encouraging their time together. And she was creating time for them to be together. And I looked at her and said, are you nuts? I said that to her. What are you doing? I said, let him go on his way. He's just a teenager. He has nothing to offer. He has nothing to offer. Let him go grow up. Give him 15 years. 
something like that. And I said that to her. I'd say it, I'd say it to anyone. What are you doing? Creating time? You're creating time for them? Well, in Matthew 26, 41, Jesus is in Gethsemane in the garden and he's talking to his disciples and he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. See what he's saying? Watch and pray. Now, you know, you back up a few verses. Peter has spoken up. He said, about verse 33 of Matthew 26, he said, he said, Lord, though all these guys leave you, I'll never leave you. I'm with you. You can count on me. Okay. It's almost as Jesus is saying, I know you've, you've verbally given your commitment to me, but I'm telling you, you better watch and pray that you don't enter into the temptation. Jesus ended up being right about Peter and about a, a lot of people. These danger areas. One of the blessings of my life has been my wife and her parents and my father-in-law, as, as all of you know, spent quite a bit of time in India, India as a missionary. And he did some things that were interesting. He loved to take pictures. He loved... And he passed away before taking pictures with a phone. He passed away back in 2003. Uh, but he had his camera everywhere he went. And one of the things he liked to take a picture of was a cobra snake. Cobra snake. Now, the... The Indian brethren are deathly scared of snakes. They have some superstitions about snakes, even a lot worse than we do here. Okay. Especially about cobra snakes. But what he liked to do, he would have them to stop the cart they were riding. They call them rickshaws. Start, stop the cart because they would see a cobra out in the field and he would, he would walk over. It's like these folks, you know, when you go to the Smoky Mountains and they see a bear... And they got to get out of the car. they got to walk up to the bear. Up to the bear. I've never seen a bear turn on somebody, but it's going to happen one of these days. So he wants to get out of the rickshaw, go up to the cobra snake, and he wants to try to make that snake flare up. Okay? Kind of spread its, uh, its skin there and get a picture of it. And the Indian brethren were so scared. They were not scared just for their own superstitions, but they were really scared for his, his safety. In fact, they were saying to him, stay out of these danger areas. And that's what Jesus is saying. Pray. You know, when we pray, we're praying for wisdom. So we ought to pray to the Lord, keep us away from evil. Keep us strong, Lord. But keep us away from danger areas. Dangers that will be particularly danger, dangerous for us. And then last... On top of preemptive prayer, we've got to have a present determination. A right now, present determination. Okay. I didn't like to hear this when I was young, but there are times that are going to come that are going to be tough. There's going to be trials, there's going to be challenges, there's going to be worse than that. Okay. Solomon speaks to this in Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 1. Where he says, remember now thy creator. Notice his word there. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Before the evil days come. They're coming. They're coming. And as we have opportunity, especially when you're young, you do all this preparation. 
of your heart and your mind and your soul. Because there are evil, not just to please the Lord, which is important, not just to get ready for judgment day, which is important, not just prepare yourself to be a servant of the Lord, which is important, but also to get ready for those, those trials that are coming, that are coming. So present determination, it takes, it takes all of what we're talking about, but then it takes just determination. I am not going to fail my God. I'm not going to do it. Now, to finish up here, I want to read from Jesus' parable of Matthew 13. I'm going to tell you something. When I was younger, I, I didn't like to hear about anything that might go, might be a reversal in life. And teachers would, would say it, and I would tune them out. That was days before headphones. But we could tune them out just as well as anybody today. You want to, and you can tune anybody out. Okay, and I would, anybody that got up there and started talking about, hey, you're going to have some rough times, I'd say, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear you. Okay. But I was so dumb and immature. Listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew uh, 13, talking about the parable of the sower. He says, as for, verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground... This is, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in him. But he endures only for a while, and when tribulation, here it is, and when tribulation, not if, not if, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. I think that's what Solomon is talking about. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth before the evil. Get yourself ready. Get yourself prepared. There's much more that could be said. You could do a much better uh, job at bringing uh, what we need out about preparation. But at least we've been able to look at two categories. Useless preparation and then some means of effective uh, preparation. And it comes down to us. You know, there's there's a big... Rhinoceros, there's a big elephant in the room, and that's our own mortality. We, we are all mortal. As we said this morning, in this body we die. So we must face that and make sure that we're right with our God. If you are subject to the Lord's invitation, please make your wishes, your desires known. Right now, as we stand together, as we sing, Brother Meek.